Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on mechanisms of immune evasion mediated by hypoxia-inducible factors from the 2022 Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Thank you. I didn't know we were going to get a documentary. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, speak to you all today about um, our, our basic research and how we believe uh, we can uh, apply it for the treatment of uh, cancer. Uh, this is where I want to start, uh, which is a, a picture of a, uh, an aggressive cancer. And you see that there are areas of necrosis where the tumor cells have died. And you say, well, that's great. We like to see dead cancer cells. But the problem is that there are those brown staining cells next to the area of necrosis. And those are nuclei that have been stained with an antibody against hypoxia-inducible factor one, HIF1-alpha. And you can see those are the viable cells that are furthest away from the blood vessels. and those are the most hypoxic cells. And we believe it's those cells that have the, the greatest propensity to invade, to metastasize, uh, to evade the immune system, and to give rise to secondary tumors. And uh, these cells are, are most resistant to common cancer therapies that are targeted to the rapidly dividing cells present around the blood vessels. Um, and, and so it's been our goal to try to um, understand the behavior of these cells and to target them for therapy in uh, cancer. And we know from um, studies where immunohistochemistry has been performed on primary tumor biopsies, in just about every cancer, the patients who have very high levels of HIF1-alpha in the, their primary tumor biopsies are, are most likely to die of their cancers. So we believe that uh, these patients require more aggressive therapy, and, and that should include a, a HIF inhibitor. So this is, this is a really beautiful system. There are 50 trillion cells in your body, and they need to be supplied with oxygen at very precise levels every single moment of your life. And this system is the system that allows that to occur. Um, the hypoxia-inducible factors are uh, basically uh, stabilized under low oxygen conditions and transcribe a large battery of genes, several thousand genes in any particular cell. Um, some of these genes help uh, to increase oxygen delivery to cells. So, for example, vascular endothelial growth factor can stimulate uh, new blood vessel formation. Um, and then others, other gene products allow the cells to survive oxygen deprivation and principally the metabolic adaptation to hypoxia, which is the switch from oxidative to glycolytic metabolism. So uh, the HIFs both uh, control the supply and the demand side of the equation. And uh, as I said, this is a beautiful homeostatic system, uh, but unfortunately it's hijacked by cancer cells. Um, and uh, is almost a final common pathway in cancer in that in most aggressive cancers, uh, this pathway has been upregulated. 
So we, we were interested for a very long time in trying to identify uh, compounds that inhibited HIF activity that could be used uh, as, uh, to probe uh, the, the role of the HIFs in uh, cancer biology and animal models. And one of the first uh, drugs we identified was a molecule called acroflavin. And this uh, drug binds directly to the HIFs and inhibits their activity. And when we uh, injected animals with prostate cancer cells and allowed the xenografts to form and then treated them with acroflavin, we could very dramatically inhibit tumor growth and inhibit the expression of uh, genes that were regulated by the HIFs. But acroflavin, as you can see, is a planar uh, molecule. It can intercalate into DNA and damage DNA. So it's not uh, an appropriate uh, agent for treating patients on a chronic uh, basis uh, to inhibit HIF activity. And more recently, uh, a small biotech company, Peloton, developed a drug which uh, specifically inhibits HIF2. Um, and, uh, this drug, again, binds to HIF2-alpha and blocks the, the ability of HIF2-alpha to dimerize uh, with HIF1-beta, so it inactivates the uh, transcription factor. And in this phase one trial, um, you could see that there was one complete response, multiple partial responses, and, and uh, stable disease. And, and these are patients with advanced disease who had failed all previous trials. So this was an amazing uh, phase one result. Uh, this structure was tweaked a little bit, and the, the drug that came to uh, approval is this drug, Belzutifan, and you can see it also gave very dramatic results in patients with renal cell carcinoma uh, with a disease control rate of 80%. Um, and so this drug uh, was approved in August uh, for uh, treatment of renal cell carcinoma in patients with a hereditary syndrome called the von Hippel-Lindau uh, syndrome. So this is the first uh, uh, application of uh, the HIF uh, biology to uh, therapeutics in cancer. Um, as I mentioned, this drug selectively inhibits HIF2, which is uh, thought to play a dominant role in renal cell carcinoma, um, whereas in many cancers, both HIF1 and HIF2 are important for uh, uh, the disease pathogenesis. And this drug um, has a major side effect of causing anemia uh, because it inhibits EPO, the hormone that controls red blood cell production, which was the first uh, gene that we showed was regulated by the HIFs. So we've uh, been interested in hepatocellular carcinoma, which is the third leading cause of death worldwide and it's the most rapidly growing cancer diagnosis in the U.S. over the last two decades because it's associated with fatty liver. And uh, most patients with this disease have a, a, a disease that's advanced at the time of diagnosis, and as a result, there are um, few options for treatment and a very poor uh, survival. The first approved drugs were uh, mixed kinase inhibitors like serafinib and levantinib that provide only modest survival benefit with low response rates, high toxicity, and frequent development of resistance. Uh, nivolumab uh, was granted FDA approval based on a phase two trial, but the phase three trial 
of nivolumab versus serafinib as first-line therapy did not meet its primary uh, endpoint. Uh, another phase three trial of uh, pembrolizumab versus placebo as second line was also negative. And then more recently, nivolumab has been combined with ipilimumab, uh, but that's only given about a 30% response rate. So this is common to many somal tumors where uh, some patients respond to um, uh, these immuno-oncology drugs, but they um, are the minority of patients with the disease. And we'd like to understand why that is and how we might improve the response uh, to these therapies. So as I mentioned, we were interested in identifying HIF inhibitors. Uh, we knew acroflavin could inhibit HIF-1 and HIF-2, but that it was, it was toxic. And so we took a bioinformatic approach, which was to interrogate the NCI cell minor database, um, which contains uh, data from 60 different human cancer cell lines that have been exposed to over 20,000 different chemicals, uh, chemical compounds, and the gene expression patterns uh, have been, um, have been uh, analyzed. So there's a, a wealth of data on the effects of different chemical compounds on gene expression in human cancer cells. And we interrogated the database looking for compounds that caused changes in gene expression that were similar to those caused by acroflavin, but were compounds that were structurally unrelated to acroflavin. And then we uh, obtained these chemical compounds and screened them in a HIF-dependent cell-based reporter assay that I'll show you in a minute. And we identified a lead compound and then synthesized over 200 analogs and screened them in the reporter assay. And we ended up identifying several dozen compounds that inhibited HIF activity within uh, IC50 in the low micromolar range. So this is the assay. We had uh, a human uh, hepatocellular carcinoma cell line that was stably uh, transfected with a HIF-dependent luciferase reporter gene, and then a controlled Ranilla luciferase reporter gene. And under hypoxic conditions, HIF-1 binds to the firefly luciferase reporter, increases its expression. Um, so we looked for uh, compounds that inhibited uh, this HIF-dependent firefly luciferase activity under hypoxic conditions. And this is an example of uh, uh, one of these studies where in blue you can see the progressive increase in firefly luciferase under hypoxic conditions in a time-dependent manner. And then in the red you can see this dose-dependent inhibition of that uh, activity uh, by one of these uh, compounds. And these are some of the most uh, 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 active compounds in the screen. Uh, I'll talk the most about 32134D, which you can see is a bisbromoindole thiazole. And then I'll also show you some gene expression data on 33063, which is a bisindole thiadiazole. Um, so this is an example of uh, effects of these compounds on gene expression in uh, the HEP3B cell line that we, we use for the screening. Uh, on the left is the expression of CA9, and the black bar shows um, the expression at 1% oxygen. And then we've treated either with the HIF2 selective inhibitor, PT2385, shown in brown, or the two different HIF inhibitors, 
um, shown in red and crimson. And you can see that they very potently inhibit the expression of CA9, which is a HIF1-dependent uh, gene. Uh, whereas the uh, PT2385 has no effect because it only interferes um, with the activity of HIF2. Well, I mentioned EPO was a HIF2 target gene, and you can see that um, PT2385 uh, is able to inhibit the expression of EPO, and the, um, these novel HIF inhibitors can inhibit EPO uh, just as well. And RPL13A is, is a gene that's not regulated by HIFs, it's not induced by hypoxia, and you can see that there's no effect on gene expression there. So the takeaway here is that these uh, novel HIF inhibitors can inhibit both HIF1 and HIF2 um, activity, and it turns out they do that by causing the degradation of the proteins. So uh, we tested the effects in vivo, again, using this HEP3B model of hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, forming xenografts and nude mice, and then treating with different concentrations of 32134D. And you can see that compared to the vehicle-treated animals, which is the black curve, um, that there's a significant inhibition in tumor growth when we treated it with 20 milligrams per kilogram per day an even greater effect at 40 milligrams per kilogram per day, and then 80 uh, milligrams per kilogram per day had no greater effect than 40. And on the right, you can see uh, immunohistochemistry where sections have been stained with an antibody against CD31 to detect blood vessels, and you can see these large brown uh, blood vessels in uh, the section from the vehicle-treated mice. And then in the an animals treated with the HIF inhibitor, the um, Blood vessels are there, but they are very small, so the perfusion of the tissue is markedly reduced uh, under these circumstances. We then went to a syngenaic mouse model of hepatocellular carcinoma using HEPA-1-6 cells in the syngenaic C57L mice. Um, and again, we waited for palpable tumors to form, and then we treated either with anti-PD-1 antibody or a isotype control. And you can see that there were a number of mice in which uh, tumors regressed, but you can also see that in several of them, when we stopped treatment on day 17, uh, there was a, re a, re a relapse of tumor growth. And so there uh, was only uh, uh, eradication of the tumors that was durable in, in a quarter of the mice. If we treated with the HIF inhibitor um, and compared that to vehicle control, you can see we got uh, significant uh, tumor control and uh, we were able to eradicate the tumors in a third of the mice. And then when we combined the treatments, we saw a very dramatic uh, effect, which was that we could eradicate the tumors in two-thirds of the mice. So obviously the question was how were we able to uh, achieve this dramatic improvement in the response to anti-PD-1 therapy. And so we looked at the uh, immune cells in the tumor microenvironment by flow cytometry. And what we found is that treatment with the HIF inhibitor 32134D resulted in a significant increase in the percentage of activated CD8 positive T cells and uh, cytotoxic natural killer cells in the tumors. Uh, and a significant decrease in the um, uh, populations of the tumor-associated macrophages and myeloid-derived suppressor cells, which are immunosuppressive. So we've been able, by treating with this inhibitor, 
to switch from a immunosuppressive uh, tumor microenvironment to one that favors anti-tumor immunity. The question is how did this dramatic change in the immune cell population occur? Um, and to answer that, we uh, performed an array looking at the expression of 80 different RNAs encoding different cytokines and interleukins. And the um, upper left quadrant are all RNAs whose expression was inhibited in tumors treated from mice treated with a HIF inhibitor. And you can see there are a number of different uh, cytokines and interleukins and chemokines uh, here that are uh, all involved in um, uh, promoting immunosuppression of, uh, the, of the tumor microenvironment. That includes uh, VEGF, interleukin-10, and many others. Uh, and you can see on the right side are RNAs whose expression increase. And those included CXCL9 and CXCL10, which are the chemokines that are responsible for recruiting uh, T cells and NK cells to the tumor. So this provided a molecular basis uh, for the changes in the immune cell uh, populations that we saw if this was also true at the protein level. Um, so we performed ELISA assays on tumor lysates and measured CXCL9 and CXCL10 protein, and these were significantly increased in tumors from uh, animals treated with the HIF inhibitor, whereas expression of CXCL1, VEGF, and IL-10, which are all immunosuppressive, uh, was decreased in response to the um, HIF inhibitor therapy. So this provides a molecular basis uh, uh, for the changes in the cell populations, and of course, as you, as you heard um, uh, already, uh, it, the CD8-positive T cells and NK cells must be present within the tumor in order for the uh, response to anti-PD-1 therapy to occur. Uh, interestingly, we looked at the effects of 32134D on the expression of uh, EPO, and uh, er erythroid uh, indices, and, and there was no effect whatsoever of the inhibitor on uh, EPO production or uh, red blood cell levels. So in contrast to the approved uh, HIF2 inhibitor, uh, this novel HIF inhibitor does not cause anemia. So uh, we think that if the, the findings that in these animal models can, can be confirmed in patients, um, that this novel HIF inhibitor um, could provide a major advance uh, in the treatment of hepatocellular carcinoma. And um, uh, at this point, we're um, uh, trying to uh, raise investment in order to um, take the drug to a phase one trial. Uh, so uh, the, uh, David Myers and Yusang Huang are the uh, chemists who um, synthesized all the compounds that we tested. And Shaima is a postdoc in my lab who did all the rest. Thanks very much for your attention, and I'd be glad to answer any questions. We have, we have time for one or two very quick questions. Thanks very much, uh, Bob Vonderheide. Abramson Cancer Center at Penn. Isn't it great to be back? 
person I get, I haven't asked a question at a microphone. And <laughs> simple question, did you check functionally in the, in the mice, if you deplete T cells, do you lose the synergistic effect of the inhibitor in PD-1? Yeah, we haven't done that experiment. Uh, with this inhibitor, we previously showed um, in uh, melanoma and breast cancer um, that a, a similar change in the immune cell microenvironment was being mediated by a HIF target gene called BRK2. And in that study, we showed that when we knocked down BRK2, um, we saw a, a dramatic uh, impairment in tumor growth. And that impairment in tumor growth was entirely due to the immune cell microenvironment because we no longer saw the difference um, when we used um, immunodeficient mice. Um, or uh, when we used a neutralizing antibody against CXCL9. Um, but we haven't done that in this model, um, and I guess we'll have to do that. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Dr. Semenza, thank you so much for this talk. Uh, it's very, very good. Um, I think because of, oh, we've got one more question, and then yeah. Gustavo Martinez, Russell Franklin University. Really beautiful talk. Thank you. Uh, I have a question regarding uh, re-challenge of the mice that do clear the tumors, because HIF has been shown to have an effect in T cells activation as well. Yeah. So have you looked at whether if you re-challenge those mice, the tumors are going to be able to be cleared? So do you have memory responses? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So it's a little puzzling because um, there have been a number of studies suggesting that HIF activity in several immune cell populations is important, including in CD8-positive uh, T cells upon activation. So we were, you know, we really weren't certain what the net effect of the treatment would be. Um, but as you can see, the net effect appears clearly to be um, beneficial. Um, uh, and, but in answer to your question, we have not done the re-challenge experiment yet. So as you can see, th this work is very new. We haven't even published it yet. Um, but that's, an, that's a second experiment I have to write down that, that we'll have to do next. Thank you. Dr. Smenza, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And next we hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you.